Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Okay. And we are live. We are here at you now with another live edition, live broadcast of the Nursing Home Podcast. So as some of you who have joined us in the past, you may already know, one of the reasons why I absolutely love doing this podcast is that we get to see things that perhaps the mainstream media may not want other people to know. And we get to see things the way that they actually are which is super cool. As administrators, some things are very frustrating. Sometimes, you ha- you know, there's so much regulation, there's litigation, there's so much going on that many times it's difficult to actually express yourself. And right now, the nursing home industry has been in the front page news, dead center, for such a long time. And the, although there's been lots of healthcare workers, appreciation heroes, airplanes flying over the sky and you know, all sorts of public displays of recognition and appreciation in which the public is coming to understand in ways that perhaps they never knew before. But at the end of the day, it ain't the same when you hear from what, what the media calls the frontline workers. So there is no more appropriate person or position, I should say, first to bring onto the Nursing Home Podcast than an administrator in a facility dealing with the challenges that exist in the nursing home world any day of the week, any day of the year, any year, but specifically right now during this pandemic and the outbreak of coronavirus. So it's my pleasure to bring on to the Nursing Home Podcast a fellow administrator, uh, Nicole Verdon. Nicole is the executive director at HCR Manicure out of Florida. And she's going to share with us a little bit of a pr- perspective of what it's really like managing during this time. So with no further ado, I'd like to bring on a call. Nicole, welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Shmuel. I'm excited for this conversation. It could take hours. <laughs> okay. Certainly can take hours. And there's certainly so much to share um, regarding you know what's going on right now. And frankly... You know, I've, I've been myself an active administrator in, in a number of facilities, a number of different companies, and I've gone through my own, you know, daily crises, if you will, and some of the frustrations a lot of other people have gone through, and I thought I saw it all, but I didn't. You know, if, if, you haven't, if you're not an administrator right now, then, you know, this is a whole different ball game. and I'm talking about fires, and I'm talking about being in the media and a lot of other crazy stuff, but there's nothing like now. So... Maybe just tell us a little bit, just as we jump into this, um, what is probably the biggest misconception of what the average guy in the street thinks about what's going on in nursing homes and what actually is going on in nursing homes from your seat at the top as the administrator of your facility? Right. Um, So I think the biggest thing that people are looking at right now from what the media is portraying is that um, nursing homes are running rampant with COVID-19. 
um, and that we're not able to keep a control on it. I would say that that's probably the most false statement out there. Uh, we're, we are managing um, patients with COVID-19 in many facilities and doing that very successfully. Um, and I think people don't recognize that in the buildings, there's still so much life going on and we're doing so much with the residents and we still are smiling, we're still happy, but it's stressful at the same time because all of us are going home and thinking when we come back tomorrow, are we gonna bring back a virus and not realize it and infect our entire facility? Um, so it's, it's very stressful, um, but it's still going well. We're still doing well. Got it, got it, got it. No, that makes that makes sense. I mean, you, it's true what you're saying that the media wants to portray that you know uh, residents are being sent from the hospital to nursing homes together with body bags, and mm -hmm. you know the worse it is, the more morbid it is, the more horror movie like it is, uh, the mm -hmm. easier it is to hold, grab, and hold people's attention, sell more newspapers and more ad space, which is the business of any media outlet. However, there's, depending on the ethical, moral backbone of that particular media outlet, will decide exactly how much they'll share, how much they won't share. So let me just be the guy in the street for a moment. Last episode, I was the administrator when we were speaking uh, to our New York surveyor, uh, Robin mm -hmm. Weissman, but now I'm going to play the other role. So we all know, I'm not we all know, I know personally people who have died in nursing homes recently. My uncle passed away a few weeks ago. Um, I actually, um, he was not in a nursing home. He, he was in a hospital, but I know from close relatives what it's been for those who are, you know, stuck inside and dying and have died. So there's no denying that, you know, there's certainly a serious, serious medical crisis. At the same time, mm -hmm. you're saying that it's under control. So how much of it is actually true? So, this is a convoluted issue um, because our population is the most at risk. So we're going to have the most cases, absolutely going to have the most cases. And it, it comes across in the media as though that's a shock. Oh my gosh, these people are dying. Well, of course they are. They have all the comorbidities that put them at risk. We understand that in the industry and that's why we take it very seriously protecting mm -hmm. and to keep our residents safe. Sorry, I'm all have airplane going overhead. It's okay. They're probably showing solidarity solidarity to healthcare workers, right? Um, or you're just near the airport. <laughs> yeah, well, that could do it too. So you know, I what we're looking at is if you have the population that is the most at risk, including you know percent of our residents are are low income. Your, that is in and of itself adds a risk factor. And mm -hmm. all of those risk factors also include all the comorbidities. And so we are obviously going to be the people who are going to be at the front and center, but then that comes with where's the support to do that. That's what's lacking. Okay. So for, from, uh, from an administrative perspective, we know that for nursing home residents to die is not in, per, perhaps it's tragic it is tragic for the resident for the family members and it doesn't matter if the person is 104 um but at the same time that's not unexpected and we know that for those who are listening and thought they were going to live forever let me just put it out there you know we're not going to discuss if santa is true but you will die everybody 
So, 100%. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't didn't come as a surprise to you, but for no. maybe there's some people like, oh my gosh. So that doesn't make it, and I don't want to sound heartless, and it's tragic every single time. But for nursing home home residents, to die is normal, and it happens every month of every year in every facility. And not only that, we know that sometimes we have residents who are there for seven, eight, nine, ten years, and three will die at a shot, and it's not necessarily because there's an outbreak of anything. It's just the way the world goes. And, exactly. you know, I've seen this firsthand and from your nodding, I see that you know what I'm talking about as well. Every year the flu comes in and we, you know, we give out the flu shots to all our residents and staff and we do everything that we can. It is possible to lose residents to that as well. And like you said, these are, we're talking about people who are end of life sometimes, a lot of other underlying illnesses and conditions and I don't want to use comorbidities because we're talking to non-industry folk as well. So they're sick people to begin with, which doesn't mean they're any less important. It just means that this is not something which is tragic. However, we do know that the the death rate in nursing homes, of the total coronavirus deaths, it's like 30-something percent were in nursing homes. I personally know somebody who is administrator of a facility, a New York facility, who has, um, it's, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but some of the facilities there are seven, 800 beds, but they lost uh, over 80 residents in a, sh in a short span of time. That's unheard of with any of these other uh, yearly, you know, seasonal illnesses. So there's certainly, you know, it, yes, it, it, the coronavirus is real. Now, the media likes to point out as if nursing homes are almost purposely negligent bordering on abusive when it, always right always because that always makes for a great story how the money hungry uh nursing home owners operators and caregivers are just you know taking all the money from the government not providing the care and th that is the part which probably gets a lot of people really mad so tell us about some of the challenges your ppe shortages and and how that has and staffing like back at the beginning when it all started um, our policies and directives were changing literally by the hour um, so we would get emails as of this moment this is what we're doing as of this moment this is what we're doing and we are dependent upon the government uh, boards to tell us what is the best practice on a novel virus a novel virus we're not going to know any better than the next person as to how to handle a novel virus we need that information. And, and so we immediately sprung into action, all of the nursing homes. I guarantee that um, many of them, even with outbreaks, had policies in place and were following those policies, trying to do their best at, given the information we had. So even at the beginning, you know, we geared up and everybody updated policies according to what information we were given. Along with those policies came new regulations as well, reporting regulations, um, PPE needs, things like that. Um, and what we've run into is that this wasn't prepared for. This wasn't prepared for by the government. It wasn't prepared for by nursing homes because we wouldn't have known any of this. Um, in a novel virus, you're going by as things happen and then you get the sens sensationalized media out there saying that um 
you know, making people more panicked, which also infiltrated into our residents and our staff. And you get to a point where everybody needs to stop watching the news because you've got panicked people when it comes down to this is infection control. This is what we are already trained to do. And as long as you're following the best practices, that's all you can do. There's going to be times where you cannot stop communication of a disease. If we could have, this would have never happened. Um, I say that to the human population, not to the nursing home world. If we could figure out a way to stop transmission, we would have already done it. But we're always going to have that chance with the population we serve to end up with something in-house. Um, you know, it's I'll, – I'll let you ask another question after that. All right. <laughs> Uh, I want to get back to that thought because it looked like you weren't sure if it's appropriate. And that's we for sure want to hear that. But just just uh, first of all, can you define for us what does a novel virus mean? Novel means new. It's never been circulated through the population before. Um, there is not a lot of data out there to um, transmission information. And this was at the beginning of coronavirus. Tra transmission information, how long it would stay on surfaces. So as far as our cleaning policies and procedures, is our are our chemicals gonna work for this? It's just everything. You look at every aspect as to how to protect your patients because we're all in it to protect our patients. Got it, got it. So now the understanding is that just like any other illness that comes around, we're supposed to know, open up the manual, do whatever it says. And if you, if you do whatever it says, then everything's gonna be under control. It's gonna be managed properly and if people are dying um then if, if people are dying in ways that they haven't been in the past then automatically it must be that nursing homes are doing something incorrectly which is right. not the case not the case at all i right. would so, say um, yep from our industry standpoint i have seen the most heartless not not yeah heartless news reporting um, coming through that is looking like nobody's caring when all of us are coming to work every single day, the it's me movement and here for you movement and all of that. It's true because we have a dedicated industry that is showing up every single day caring for these patients. And a lot of these patients are people that others have forgotten about until it comes into the news. Oh boy. So that's, that's a tough point that you bring up right, right there. Um, I recall an incident when, I don't think I was administrator yet at that point. I think it was business office manager or something, but where somebody, uh, a woman literally drove up to the back door of the nursing home, uh, dropped off her parent. I forget if it was a mom or a dad. And as you know, we were helping the new resident into a wheelchair and getting them into the building, she literally drove off, like literally, never to be seen from again. Like, wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> like, no, she didn't want anything to do with her. She was not. She didn't want to have to pay. She didn't want to have to deal with her. She did not want her in her house. Maybe she wanted the house, as we know that happens. So, and these, uh, this is you know. Unfortunately, this is something that really exists. So the people who are providing the care in the nursing homes are from the most caring, compassionate, responsible human beings on this planet. Then nobody goes into this industry for the pile of gold that doesn't exist. Uh, people go in there because they genuinely, they genuinely care. An administrator who comes in there and ensuring that the staff are there and that everyone has what they need and policies are being followed and developed as we move along 
are only doing this because this is, you know, this is something that they care deeply about. And the notion that nursing home, you know, the nursing home people, they really know everything what to do. And if only they were doing, you know, if they were doing things properly, people wouldn't have died is frankly, it's ignorant and stupid. Um, and, and like you said, you know, the, you're waiting as usual. You have to follow what the government says, first of all, because if you want to stay in business, that's what you got to do. And I can't say that every every state is different, but not every state did a wonderful job on this, right? We we know states that flip flopped in their policies, and we're talking about life and death. You know, when you force nursing homes to accept positive cases without any system of containment, right? And also, again, this really goes to last episode. You know, it's almost. It's like a DPH survey on the front lines. So it's like when you're sitting there as a nursing home administrator, you or anyone in the industry, and the 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 Department of Health surveyor comes in, their arms folded, and how come you didn't do this? Now, again, there are good surveyors and bad ones, but overall, the the impression is: look, I'm fighting to get my electric my electric bill paid on time because the sheriff came to shut off the electricity. My gloves that were supposed to be here overnighted by our, you know, by our uh, medical supplies company. But I was just told it's going to be here Tuesday. My housekeeping guy went with my credit card to CVS to go buy mm-hmm. gloves, right? And you know, our food delivery because let's say right now coronavirus, you know, our food delivery is delayed, and we literally don't have milk for lunch, which is in forty-five minutes. So we have someone milking the cow down the street, or we're doing whatever we need to do to make this happen. And you're worried about a care plan from 18 months ago where the resident is not here. And we did a great job serving that resident, but we forgot to update the care plan at one of the care plan meetings. You want to give me a tag and now go down a rabbit hole and see what else you can give me for that. I'm like, seriously, are we on the same planet? We're caring for residents, keeping them alive. And I'm not saying that regulations shouldn't be followed. I'm not saying regulations shouldn't be enforced, but it's, it's, it's that attitude of we're here literally you know, doing everything we can to ensure, uh, you know, bottom line results. And you're coming in here as if we have limitless budgets, as if we have, you know, our staffing uh, is is something that's really solvable. You know, there's an actual shortage of nursing staff, you know, in this country. There's no, no matter how much money you have, which nursing homes don't have huge budgets, which goes back to reimbursement. But it, even if we had a limitless budget, we still couldn't fill all our shifts consistently. We're always going to be playing catch up. We're always going to be putting nurses on doubles and triples, and which you know, which which jumps into our overtime or our agency, which is the reason why that care plan wasn't updated because that nurse was never in this building before. So that's something that it's almost like an industry secret that we have us guys and those guys, and we kind of just accept it, and we, we say, listen, even though. Most people in this industry using the same skill set in another industry would get better reimbursement, better working conditions, better growth opportunity, perhaps, in, in another industry. They're choosing this industry because they care. Not only that, they also have this punitive type of abusive relationship between the Department of Public Health and the actual the people caring for the residents. That's something that nursing home professionals swallow. I'm going on a rant here a little bit, but this is this is so true. And I can tell from, from you and from anyone in the industry, we know this is what it is. And we're like, okay, even with all that, we're still going to go for years and decades and, and we're going to serve these residents. But now it's now, now that we, it's all of a sudden front page news, 
people who never thought about nursing homes before are all of a sudden looking at them as these evil death machines where you have these heartless, cruel monsters taking advantage and abusing our, the most vulnerable population, which is everyone's parents and grandparents. And like we said in the beginning, this is very well maybe us down the road. And, we're, and now that's frontline news. And I don't know, I feel like that's too much already. The world needs to hear that this is not true. Yeah, I think nursing homes compared to where they've been and a lot of the um, stigma that sticks around them is that we only care for the elderly and they're all in some form of dementia and they lay in bed and we turn them every two hours. That's not what a nursing home is. A nursing home has been a catch-all for the medical industry for decades and it's increasing at a rate that is to keep up with because of budgets. Um, at this point in time, there's very little that my nursing home can't do for a patient who is needing to be in a hospital, um, you know, being monitored by a, a doctor or nurse practitioner daily. We're able to do that here. So it's just, it's different than what it has been. And part of that with our regulation system is so archaic and so large and it doesn't keep up with what the needs are of our population and then they add more regulations without removing them and don't ever add any funds to those regulations. I saw today the state of Florida, um, I think it was our association was talking about how much it's going to cost to do the testing that they're mandating for from the state and it's in the millions of dollars for one building alone to keep up with the testing that we're having to do. And that funding has yet to be earmarked anywhere in a regulation or from our representatives to pay for that. And we don't have the budgets to pay for it. So you've set us up to fail again. And that's going to be sensationalized. I'm, I'm not quite sure when the circle can stop of us being forced to do things without additional reimbursement and then being thrown under the bus saying, well, why couldn't you do it? And on top of that, it's a subjective survey with a statement of deficiencies which is available to the public with only one side of story and of course we're able to make comments but they'll always put in the worst comments that nail you to the board instead of the actual truth that we are trying to, to portray to the the surveyors that are in the building mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now just this is uh, you know very well said and um I'm just thinking of a few incidents that come to mind that, you know, directly display exactly what you said. Um, but the the bigger issue is, which you're pointing out, is that there's a massive, massive disconnect between what actually happens in a nursing home on a day-to-day basis, between what operations look like in a nursing home, and what the armchair analysis, Starbucks drinking, uh, leather at the showcase holding, um, executives or government officials in the, uh, are they're making these rules without having any clue as to a the effect. It's it's if it wouldn't be sad, it would be comical. Without having you know, without having any idea of the effect or the feasibility, the practice, the practic- practicality, or even if it makes any sense, right? Exactly. Uh, you know, in, in the real world, in the real nursing home world. So, like you're saying. The, we're going to mandate testing. Now, does that make sense to mandate testing? Is that effective? Let's leave that aside for a minute. Let's assume that it is effective, which is not clear. 
right? And let's assume that the frequency, which which every state is requiring, also makes sense, which is also not clear. And again, like you said, it's a novel virus. No one has any clue what they're doing here. Again, the doc, you know, famous uh, doctors are changing their mind from moment to moment. But uh, assuming all that is correct, no one's addressing the funding issue. I mean, this is a major thing. Nursing homes can barely afford to give a tiny bump and a paycheck to the CNAs who have been working very hard, just to say it correctly, but you know, to provide care for those who, like you said, could be no one else in the world even cares about them. And to give them a 25 cent an hour raise is a real challenge. This is not nursing homes being cheap. You literally can't find it in the budget between food and utilities and payroll, and, you know, rent. We're talking about very basic necessities. And now all of a sudden, yeah, a few million dollars per facility. What's the revenue per facility for every year before expenses? Is it even that much? And if it is, you know, the, the, the profit margins, I mean, you know this, you've reviewed financials, I'm sure, right? You know, the profit margins are so slim. Yeah, you brought in, you know, $7 million this year in revenue. That's wonderful. But if, you, if it costs you $8 million to care for these residents, you lost money. It's a horrible business. You should open up a lemonade stand. You'll make more money, assuming that you don't have uh, government regulations on your lemonade stand. But so this is this is a problem that's it's just perpetuated by the situation that we're in right now. And the problem is, like we started in the beginning of this conversation, is that the average guy in the street doesn't see that or know that, right? The, the most people don't work in nursing homes, so they don't know this. And they assume that nursing homes are taken care of, just like, you know, just like uh, hospitals. You walk in there, you assume somehow they're making money. We assume that nursing homes are also making money and you know to your point we said earlier someone said on the show again i don't remember who said what at this point but someone said you know the nursing home home of today is a community hospital of yesterday like we literally yep. could do almost anything short of open heart surgery you know in the nursing homes and we're expected to do this with regulations that are archaic outdated and and preposterous so uh, so many times the things that it just makes absolutely no sense so, so let's talk about the funding aspect for a second, and even not necessarily corona-related, but on a general day, on a regular day, I know in Massachusetts, the number was 30-some, the average Medicaid-funded patient, which is the majority of the typical nursing home, the nursing homes lose 30-something dollars a day. That, so simply put, it means it costs $30 more to care for these patients and the reimbursement that you get from Medicaid, which, when you get it six, nine months later. So not only are you losing money, you're also lending money to the government, you know, before they give you back, you know, uh, you know, uh, most of the money that you lent them, which is crazy. So the only way to survive is to, you know, to really have your short-term population really, really churning. And even there, just to break even is, is difficult. I mean, how does this work in Florida? Are you facing the same challenges there? We do face the same challenges um, at about the same rate. We do lose money every single day on our Medicaid patients. And again, when you're running a building that's got 70% Medicaid, that's a lot of money that you're losing. And your margins are slim at best. Um, and you're, you're completely right when it comes to, you know, giving someone a raise. If, you're, if your financials have greater than 50% is your wages, Anytime you do a wage increase, you're looking at tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars across the board just completely wiped out. And 
small increases, but we want to give them because we care for our, our staff members just as we care for our patients, if not more, because we know how much they're doing and they're putting their livelihood into the livelihood of our patients. And it comes back to like in COVID, if when it was brought up that a lot of CNAs work two jobs at two different buildings, that's real. That's real across the industry. It's the way it is in every building I've ever worked in. That's the model is we have CNAs that work two jobs, um, majority of them with no moms trying to make it. Um, and they put their heart and soul into what they do. We've got great staff at, at our buildings and, and we aren't able to reward them. And it's because our hands are tied as far as reimbursement. If the government wants us to do more and be more, then they have to give more. And that's just the way that it is. And it goes back to the country and the way people are looking at, at nursing homes. You've got to get the, the, the information out that if you want us to excel at what we're doing, then you have to pay for it. It's, that's the bottom line. So let's, which is 100%, you know, on point. I'm just thinking, you know, we've never gone this deep in the, on this road, I guess. Um, but let's assume you can do anything that you want or we can do anything that we want um, to fix this problem. What is, what is the actual ask? Well, let's start from the beginning. Why is, the re, why is there this, I'm not saying you have to have this answer because I'm thinking out loud now. Um, mm -hmm. Why is there such a massive disconnect? Uh, you know, I'll just give you an example. Mark Parkinson, right, the CEO of the American Healthcare Association, who was on one of the early episodes of the podcast, he's a staunch supporter of the long-term care space. And the reason for that is because he has actual experience. Him and his wife, they owned healthcare companies. They owned nursing homes. They owned assisted living. He walked up and down the hallways. He knows what a typical resident looks like in this in this environment. He knows what staff look like. He knows what the challenges are. So he can come then into a political arena and say, hey, what you guys saying is crazy. That won't work because of this. They need more money because of this. And has been a fantastic supporter of what we do here. That is a, just one example of where there's a real connection between what we do in the space and those who make the decisions. But with, you know, that's an exception to the rule for the most part. You know, the people making these decisions are so far removed from the actual action that the things they're saying, it's just completely crazy. And there's no one, it's almost as if they're literally going nursing home to nursing home and, you know, lighting them on fire. And it's just, you know, no one's there just to get up and yell fire. This is crazy, you know. Right. And and when it, if nursing homes had healthier budgets, here, let's put it this way. Let's ask a hard question. Again, I'm not, I'm not putting you on the spot. If nursing homes had healthier budgets, and they could have afforded, let's say, unlimited budgets. Could would more would less nursing home residents have died during this outbreak? I think so. And the reason I think so is because if we look at the places that have been hardest hit, it's it's pretty. And we look at the data. I'm not going by just you know self reports here, but by the data, it's the larger buildings in larger metropolis that are being hit the most. And you look at those, those are typically older buildings with a large population, a lot of shared rooms, a lot of shared bathrooms. That is an issue when it comes to infection control. So if you're gonna go forward from this day forward and say that 
we are going to be held to these standards where you're able to control an infection like this um, to a, you know, lower than 20% rate, right? So if we mm-hmm. say our goal would be 20%. I'm all on board for that, but I need a different building. <laughs> so absolutely, I want private rooms for all of my patients. I want private bathrooms for all of my patients. I want a beautiful facility for them to live in the rest of their years. But the reality is our budgets have not been there for the last decade plus in any capacity in order for us to do that. Um, And if that's what they're going to be expecting in the future, then they have to show up and, and get the funding for it. I think Mark Parkinson's right on it. And actually, I'm thinking it's his article I was reading about the testing costs. Every time we go to bat for the new regulations and whether we support it or not, we have to show them what that ticket price is. If you're going to expect this, look margins and look at what you're asking. That means that facilities will close. And in states like Wisconsin, they, they're giving a 60-day notice to the state saying we are going to be closing because the new regulations from COVID are putting us in a financial strain that we cannot sustain. Wow. Wow. I mean, my last, okay, I don't want to talk about my particular facilities, but I've seen a lot of facilities close here in Massachusetts as well um, over the last two, three years. And a lot of them have to do with they just simply can't afford it. I'll put it this way. There, there's very little, it's, it's difficult. There's little business incentive, let's say to the entrepreneurs of the world to go and build beautiful nursing homes because the mm-hmm. business model simply doesn't work. Right. If if it did, you know, we live in a wonderful country where we have, you know, if something is a good business model, there's opportunity for investors to do this. It's it's you know, right now, in order to be really successful, you need to have um, really really skilled operators. You have to know how to maximize reimbursement, make sure that it's done legally, which it is for the most part, and make sure the staff are providing care in a way that maximizes reimbursement, which is not great. <laughs> but you know, PDPM is is correcting that problem to some extent. Uh, you know, it's putting that a little bit more in line. On the back of another payer source, but yes. <laughs> okay. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, because you have to supplement, you have to supplement your Medicaid losses somewhere. And so if you're going to get anywhere, you're going to follow that. But at the same time, it's all it's doing is making up the loss. Right, right. But uh, I'm saying if you had a limitless budget, you could build any building that you want to build. First of all, let's talk about staffing for a minute, right? If you had a limitless budget, you would you would have one more CNA maybe on the three eleven shift or eleven to seven shift or maybe you would have another half a nurse or uh, whatever. You wouldn't have to be as tight with the budgets and you wouldn't have the regional oversight. Of why is this nurse over here? Why is this CNA here? Because then the day, like you said, that's that's your biggest expense is is your payroll. If you had a, a healthier budget. You know, then the could be that would change. I, I know that I know I mentioned the story once before, but not to you. Um, my daughter was born. Um, no, it was not my daughter. It was my son, actually. My daughter is a different story. <laughs> uh, when my son was born, he, he ended up in the in the NICU here in Boston for a few weeks. And at that point, I was you know still manning. Uh, I was an active administrator in another facility in Massachusetts, and I was like going back and forth between the NICU in Brigham and Women's Hospital and my facility. And the contrast was so stark and startling 
that I'm going from a nursing home where our quote unquote private rooms, which were redone kind of sort of with our maintenance team, you know, replacing the floors that we bought in Home Depot and repainting and, you know, in-house and doing whatever we can to give it somewhat of a facelift. And then, and those are our beautiful private rooms. Then I'm walking in there to, you know, it is the NICU, so it might not be the fairest comparison, but you have a massive room larger than my bedroom at home. And it's, you know, you have one tiny baby in there. You have one nurse doing a 12-hour shift. with just two babies that pretty much don't do a thing. You know, gorgeous state-of-the-art equipment. You know, you could literally eat off the floor. It's, yeah, the place is, is stunning. Plus, we had a view. <laughs> and it was, it was like almost luxurious. And, you know, I said, you know, if we had these types of resources, the outcomes you would see, people would literally live longer. Literally. People would, would literally, would for sure, have better quality of life. The nurses and the aides would enjoy a better quality of life. They would be happier. More people would want to work in this industry. It, it's not a, an industry problem. If reimbursement was realigned with, uh, with the work and the care that's actually being provided, then the outcomes would be different. And, you know, I'm just wondering, I'm thinking out loud, I'm trying to remember which country, there are some countries that do a better job at this. And the, the and where we need to go from that, because, I, you know, far be it for me to say that hospitals need less resources, because I think hospitals deserve their resources and um, are doing well with them. And mm -hmm. they're partners in healthcare, and we need them to be as good as they can be, and they need us to be as good as we can be. That being said, you know, our structure that we're looking at, it brings me back to social determinants of health and, and political determinants of health. Looking at the data and where the issues are, and it goes back to who's being hit with COVID. It's your more metropolis areas, larger populations here in Sarasota. What makes me nervous is a lot of family members co-house co with our staff members. So you've got large families living together. And so you're exposed, that person's exposed to everyone they live with and they're all exposed to coming in here. Um, but it, it, we're looking at how to change healthcare. We have to look at who is needing the most resources. And that is our low income, um, it's our, you know, addressing people through the whole continuum from hospital, nursing home, home health, um, primary care. It all has to start working together as, as it is. And I get it. We don't have the money in our government to just continue doling out to different things. So let's look at it from a social standpoint. How can we do this better and use the same resources or change that? But we also have to have the resources to even start that conversation. We aren't going to know what's going to work until we're able to do it. And it's not a quick fix like it's been in the past where new regulations will come through and a quick boost for two years, things like that. It, it doesn't, it doesn't cover it. It's many, many years of many regulations that need to change in order for us to serve people the way that they can at, at an efficient cost. It really has to be looked at. And I know that President Trump, not going political, um, started mm -hmm. as a new, um, he wants that nursing home focus group coming out of this COVID. I hope that there's a provider at the table. From my perspective, I, I, 
I can only hope and pray that there's a provider because in that provider, I think you need to have many different people of different time, types of providers. We've got small facilities, big facilities, we've got entity, we've got rural, we've got private um, owned and we've got non-for-profit and all of us face different challenges. And so doing something for one industry and expecting everyone to be successful at that is not going to work. And we have to have our voice at it. Wow. Wow. Okay. So that, I mean, that is something, you know, at, at least some action is occurring and we can hope that, like you said, that someone who actually knows what's going on is at that table. Um, you know, I was trained that, you know, we have our quality improvement meetings, always bring a CNA, bring a housekeeper, you know, bring a diet aid, because you'll find out so much more from them um, mm -hmm. than you will from their manager. Their manager is important also. But this person, oh, yeah, the reason why the food is always cold on Tuesdays, the third shift at lunch is because, you know, that's when Tony comes in and opens the window. And that's why we have those, you know, black dots that we found out are insects, whatever. All sorts of crazy stuff you find out when people actually know what's going on. So having a provider at the table can certainly start to change. And like you said, I don't think we need to introduce more money into a government budget to solve this problem. Again, this is me, the non-government budget expert saying this. So someone who's an expert might not be happy with this, but... It's just so misaligned that I don't believe it's possible that nursing homes are not looking to be rich. We're looking for basic necessities. We're not looking for a Lexus. We're looking for bread, right? We're not looking for, you know, for the Taj Mahal. We're looking for a bed. We're looking for, you know, uh, masks, gloves, CNAs. We're looking for basic necessities. And if the basic necessities are met, you know, nursing home providers would be that much more successful. And they would introduce, you know, other you know, investors to open up instead of seeing this trend of nursing homes closing down, you know, you'll see more of them adjusting, you know, maybe a new model of care. Um, you had to be very interested in this. Okay. But it's, it's been amazing um, having you on the podcast, Nicole. Um, it's first of all, thank you for what you're doing every single day. Um, from your video, it looks like you're still at work. I'm not sure exactly where, but I'm outside because I have to wear my mask inside and it, it wouldn't have gone well. You wouldn't have really hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you're, you're literally most of this country, uh, you know, out of the, I don't have an exact number, but we're home in our houses. And our biggest challenge is how are we going to get our milk and eggs from the grocery and how are we not going to kill each other? How are we going to stay sane? And those are serious. Um, those are serious challenges. I have, you know, thank God, multiple children at home and, it's a serious challenge even right now that they're quiet because they know we're having this conversation. But that pales in comparison to what you're doing is that you're leaving your home and going in to lead your facility every single day knowing that you know there is coronavirus, hopefully not in your facility, but you're exposing yourself even on a regular day. You know, you're exposing yourself. And what I find is, at least I never thought about this. You know, when I went into my facility and there was an outbreak of different things and they came home, it was just this is what we do. And, you know, we, we have to take care of our residents. And that, that is something that is, it's heartwarming that people still care enough that even when their caring is not that tied to their paycheck, they're still there because humans caring for humans. It's just, you know, it's, it's something special. And it was Nicole, any final words before we let you go, any final, uh, anything you want to correct or add to the conversation, uh, before we let you go. 
No, I, you know, honestly, I, I'm encouraging my fellow administrators and anybody in the industry to start getting your voice out because we cannot continue the way we're hoping. And now is our time. We have to start speaking up. Um, it, you know, the, the fight's just beginning and it's going to be a long road coming out of this. Um, but we look at the data, we got to look and be smart about the next moves we make. But don't let the fight stop because we've got to do what we can for our residents. Okay, yeah, you, you're getting my mind racing right now about using this platform perhaps to to start this conversation and to and there are efforts that are being done and I know the Medicaid rate was at least in Massachusetts was bumped up a little bit over the last few months and there are it's not like nothing is happening but we need more unified drastic effort and the problem is the caregivers are focused on giving the care and hoping the problem will get fixed but hoping it doesn't make problems go away. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. The nursing home podcast today uh, taking some time out of your schedule uh to spend with us today thank you for providing the care that you prov- you and your team and every other administrator and healthcare worker is doing on a daily basis especially during this time i really appreciate it thank you i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the nursing home podcast be sure to share this episode with all of your friends in the nursing home industry and just tell them to head on over to the nursing home podcast.com. In the meantime, head on over to iTunes. Leave me an honest, wonderful review. Take a screenshot of it, and I will send you a gift straight and special for you. Again, head on over to iTunes. Leave me an honest review. Take a screenshot of it and send it on over to me on LinkedIn. Now, I'll be sure that we send something out special just for you. Have an awesome day.